Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937, with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Wyndham Garden Lafayette. And by Sheward and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Machado's Wine Market in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative consultant Aileen Bennett. Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Basically, as humans, we have two ways to communicate, sight and sound. We started out by beating on wooden logs and scratching figures onto the walls of caves. We've evolved to where we are today, talking to a handheld device and telling it to play music or movies. The biggest part of those millions of years of artistic and technological revolution have occurred in the past hundred years. First, there was the invention of radio and then TV. For around 30% of that recent evolution, that is for the last 30 years, Charles Wood has been an eyewitness and a key player. Today, Chuck is general manager of Lafayette-based Delta Media Corporation, overseeing six radio stations and five TV channels in Acadiana. Chuck, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Eileen. It's good to be here. Radio and television became an integral part of our lives for a number of reasons, but one of them was because it was free. Radio and TV is principally funded by advertisers. That means that if you own a radio or TV station, no matter how good your content, you are reliant on advertising sales to make money. That means you're reliant on salespeople. Sales is both an art and a science, part personality, part persistence, and part system. One of the most popular and effective sales systems in the country these days is called Salesforce. It's a nationwide platform that's known generically as CRM, Customer Relationship Management. Locally, Salesforce is represented by ADP Solutions in Lafayette. Anne Pyle is the managing partner of ADP Solutions. Anne, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Pleasure. Chuck, because originally a radio signal could only go so far, all radio was local. We had local stations with local personalities and programs tailored to particular communities. In 1996, the Federal Communication Commission, the FCC, changed the way radio was regulated. It allowed companies to conglomerate to own a lot of radio stations. That resulted in a small number of companies controlling a large number of radio stations. That centralized control resulted in radio stations across the country all sounding pretty much the same, which destroyed the whole concept of local radio. As a result, the largest of these three media companies, Clear Channel, or iHeartRadio as it later rebranded itself, recently declared bankruptcy. Just a few years ago, it would have been unthinkable that you could lose money owning a radio station. Owning a radio station used to be described as a license to print money. Through all these changes, you've managed to keep Delta Media local. How have you achieved that? How have you avoided getting bought out by any of those big companies? Oh, wow. How, have I, how we've avoided that, I, I, you know, I'm, I don't have an answer to that. You want to know the truth? Well, you know, we, we pride ourselves on being local. Uh, we haven't shopped our stations. We like what we do. Um, and maybe that's the secret. Uh, you know, we are, um, as you said, all radio stations have ended up sounding the same. And in some cases, that's true. And, and that's why we like doing what we do. We, um, we're locally owned. We're locally operated. Uh, every one of our stations have local content, local announcers. We play local music. Uh, we put on local music shows uh, that we kind of use with both our radio and television stations. Um, 
our sports station talks about local sports. Um, you know, that's kind of the footprint that uh, we created for ourselves six years ago when I took over. Um, it is a very competitive media world out there today. It really is. It's not is. radio and television. It's, it's a media world. It's I the with internet and YouTube and... Satellite and Pandora and you name it, I, you know. So um, I hate to use the phrase, but we try to do our best to make our stations as Pandora-proof as we can, Okay. Um, and is being local the advantage to that? Yeah. I mean, you know, people still need to get the information. People still need a connection. And that's what that's that's been a great strength for. Uh, on the radio side, uh, having the announcers and talking about the traffic and talking about what's going on in the, in the communities creates that connection. You know, um, radio is the original social media. I mean, it really it, is. It really is. And, and people uh, still call into your shows, and people call in, and people uh, get involved, and that's why, you know, we, we have we, we have a local station, we have a local urban station that that targets the African American audience here, and uh, we're the only live morning show for the African American constituency here in Lafayette, Louisiana, and we we have all of the uh, um, the movers and the shakers in the African community as guests quite often and talking about what's going on and, and you, it's amazing what goes on. So uh, everything's changed but also nothing's really changed at all in the essence of radio and TV. No, you, you know, no it hasn't. Uh, the basic concept hasn't changed. It's just that we got a hell of a lot of delivery systems in which we have to deliver this information with. You know, we have to make sure that we maintain our signals over the air. We all we stream every one of our stations. We have an app for every one of our stations. You know, so we're, we're constantly paying attention to how we're getting the information out there. We go live on Facebook with every one of our stations at some time or another. You know, I've got a sports station that broadcasts on Periscope while he's doing his show in the morning. I mean, it's just, it's nuts is what it is. It's nuts. And... Sales are sometimes referred to as a numbers game, meaning to get one person to say yes to what you're selling, you need to approach 10 people. If you're a salesperson, and especially if your income is dependent on a commission of your sales, you need a lot of those one in 10 people to say yes. So at any one time, you may be chasing 100 or more prospects. As I understand it, Salesforce helps a salesperson collate and track exactly where he or she is with all these multiple concurrent and prospective sales, which sounds a bit like an Excel spreadsheet. What's the secret ingredient of Salesforce that elevates it from just beyond that spreadsheet? Um, Salesforce's platform is an amazing technology, and what they've done since they began in 1999 is to um, not only stay current but be on the leading edge. And so back in 1999-2000 when they started the company, they intended to be software as a service in the cloud for CRM. All three of those were revolutionary. And the really interesting thing about this company, because Salesforce um, for a tech company is kind of old. You know, so yeah, it's yeah, been around it's for been a around long since time. 1999, 2000, but they are staying on the leading edge. And so what they did is they took that basic concept and they continue to build on it. And so you've got things like artificial intelligence, which they have been uh, on top of for a long, long time, mobilizing their application. That They did that first out of the box. And so they really are accumulating incredible talent. Um, we, when we implement Salesforce, we, um, we implement Salesforce across, there's a sales platform, a service platform, a community 
community platform, it's just enormous. Basically, we're Salesforce, we're software developers, and Salesforce is our, our development platform. So truly, we can do much more beyond just CRM. But to speak to CRM specifically, what's really cool about Salesforce is the way that allows you to very easily and intuitively truly understand your constituents, whether it's a prospective client, a client, a prospective donor or donor, or it's someone that you're doing business with, you really understand what your relationship is like with them. And then what you do is you track your opportunity pipeline. So so every contact I have with them, I can add a little absolutely. bit into the Absolutely, and it's very easy and to I do. And can, can I stick in the name of, names of their children and where yeah, they yes. went on vacation? Yeah, So that before absolutely. I talk to them next time, I know all that that's information kind of, up That's kind of, that's the point. You know, I don't, I'm really not a salesperson. I mean, I, I do business development for my company. That's what I do. But it's really about relationship building. So we do a lot of work for commercial uh, commercial endeavors, but also nonprofit. So for them, it's selling their mission and it's selling the ability um, for the donor or the volunteer or what have you to really um, engage with them. And so Salesforce is that kind of a tool. So similar to Chuck, it's really, this is about people, not about numbers. Absolutely always is, yeah. And so the technology is there really to allow you to to understand all this. And it's it, the cool thing about it is is that we don't do a lot of training with Salesforce. I mean, once we build it for a client, it's, it's pretty intuitive. The Salesforce platform... Um, because it's mobile means that if I'm if I'm meeting you, Chuck, you know, and we your prospective client. So I meet with you and I go sit in my car and I pull up Chuck Wood and I talk to my phone and I say, Okay, we had this conversation, this is what we're gonna do. Remember to follow up with him here. Uh, in two days, and so it's there. It's in Salesforce. And do you so I can add see all it. those little bits? Did you? He likes this kind of. You know, he eats this. Yeah. He likes the this. more you know about the person, the deeper the relationship that you can build with them, the more likely you are to win their business. I'm sure that you've run into that situation too, as well with your with your stations, all the time. because that's what it's all about, right? All the time. Is it? I think that's really true in South Louisiana and Acadiana. Uh, because uh, this I've is just a way of formalizing how people are anyway yeah yeah and the same with your audiences chuck you like to know all of that you're listening to them to find out what they want to hear i presume absolutely yeah you know I, i'm in a very peculiar business where i have two two customers okay we have the audience that we build so we're serving them right. you know we're serving them as a customer our listener base our viewer base on the television side and then we take those audiences and we market those we market those to advertisers and so we have a sales force that that, that sells to them too so you know we we're kind of a double-edged sword and for many company. years you were sales director at places that was your yeah yeah you know i got into this business 40 years ago wanted to be the next great dj in detroit and found out in about six months i didn't have enough talent so um i got i got into a little uh, i got into the sales side of the business um which led to the management side of the business and uh, now I run the whole kit and caboodle. And so let's talk about motivating salespeople. I'm sure we have a lot of listeners that want to know about that. Tell us the secrets. Well, there's no secret to motivating salespeople. You can't motivate people. People can only motivate themselves. Uh, you can inspire people, but you can't motivate them. Um, you know, I like to look for self-motivated people uh, when, I'm, ah. when I'm hiring people. Um, you know... Look, you try to kick them in the rear end and get them started. It's, you've kicked them in the rear end. It kind of really doesn't work, you know. Um, so, you know, I try to create inspiration. Hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we do what we do. And we need to love what we do. And 
Uh, I can see Anne smiling at you in the background. Create inspiration. That's just kind of my belief. And talking about self-motivated people, Anne, you came up, did you, you began in IT as a woman in 1977? Yes, I did. How did that happen? In 1977, I graduated from USL with a degree in mathematics, and we were determined to move away. So we went to Colorado where our friend lived and worked in Colorado Springs, and I started just applying for jobs, and I came across Ford Aerospace. And of this course. was a company... <laughs> This is a company that did uh, large contracts with government, and they just needed to hire women. So they ah. hired me. So, I mean, I was kind of a token hire, which in retrospect, I don't really, you know, it's not very good, but it was a way to get into the door, right? And so, you know, since 1977, things have changed a lot. Um, but I Thanks to women like you. Yeah, it, it, it's, it was not easy. Frankly, it wasn't, you know, because what they tended to do is they put me into a corner and they said, okay, we want you to do this. And so, but I'm always, like, curious. And so from I what my say, research says, you didn't stay in that corner for no, very long. No, I don't long. stay in corners, no. So, you know, and I would, I would you know, it's, I'd just question and say, well, I think I could do this. And so finally I would work my way into that. And that's kind of the way that I've been all along. So, you know, I wore, when I was at Project Waterhouse, um, you know, they, they didn't have any women in the partner ranks. We were talking about this early. It's very interesting. I was there in the early 80s. And, um, you know, I, um, I went to work with them. I called the, the manager. I just kind of yeah, cold just called. Cold, cold Pricewaterhouse. Pricewaterhouse and said, you know, this is what I've been doing. I was doing software development for oil and gas accounting and um, had been laid off. And so I was looking for a job. So I thought, well, they probably do some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> so I, I talked my way into that. And so it was really neat because once I really got to get in there and do the work and understand, you know, truly what management advisory services was for Pricewaterhouse um, and the really cool things that I did, you know, I, um, I was approached by the partner in charge and he said, you know, you could possibly be the first female partner for Pricewaterhouse, which blew me away. I thought, no female partners? I mean, this is not 1960. This was in the 80s. Wow. But that, that's just the way it was back then. And you know? then you worked at Lafayette General Medical Center? I did. And you were their first their information first inf officer? Their first chief information officer. That's correct. And you first. started online med or digital medical records before they were... A thing. Yeah. <laughs> so we didn't like my, uh, the EMR, the electronic medical record for Lafayette General. So um, I, when I first got there, you know, I, um, I was amazed at how complicated everything was in the data centers that we had. And I had always wondered why hospitals used paper. You know, it's like, what are you doing? I mean, if you, the piece of paper is in one place. So if I'm on the third floor and you need to know the lab result and it's not there, you know, you're going to have to go scoot and find it. So I always felt like it was in the patient's interest to do this. So um, one thing that I did is I, is I decided we need to make some improvements. We need an electronic medical record. And so we did a search for that. And in 2002, we implemented Cerner, which is uh, one of the biggest providers for hospital medical systems. And uh, we were one of the first community hospitals to implement in the way that we did, which was huge. It was a big bang. And that was a risk for the hospital. My favorite thing, the way you talk, it's always about the people and the results it's never about the technology behind that's it. exactly right that's that's what that is the distinguishing factor between uh, just a programmer who's a, t a technocrat 
versus the person who understands business or the organization and what their needs really are and can say, I have a tool for you. It's not about the toys. It's about the fact that I understand you and I can give you something better. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking to Anne Pyle from ADP Solutions and Chuck Wood from Delta Media Corporation. We'll be back after this very brief break. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking to Anne Pyle from ADP Solutions and Chuck Wood from Delta Media Corporation. So both of you found something you loved, Chuck, radio, DJing, I know you love music, and this organization thing, and you made a career of it. What would your advice be to someone starting today? Would it be follow the thing you love, or would it be make a career, or find a way to do both? Well, I found a career just based on something I loved. Okay, I mean, I uh, I don't know what advice you, I, you know, I think you gotta love what you do. You know, I've told, you know, I've lost employees because I've told them, if you don't like this, then go to work in a bank. Don't mean to be bad. Not that there's bank. anything wrong My with working in a bank. My wife was a banker, bank. okay. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, if, if this is- Find the right thing for you, you find, mean, yes. F- yeah. Find what you want to do, because if you don't like it, you're not gonna do it. I mean, that's the bottom line. And, you know, I grew up, uh, when I grew up, we had three TV stations and a transistor radio. I mean, that's what you had. And I, I was a radio. I like to tell people I, I, I like to tell people <laughs> I that I, I, <laughs> I invited the Walkman because I taped my transistor radio to my handlebars on my bicycle and oh, cool. listened to the radio all the time. <laughs> that's and uh, I just wasn't smart enough. Maybe I need an animal. I wasn't smart enough to. to yeah, I think actually putting you turned that into a product you know? and made a yeah. million dollars. I wasn't that bright. <laughs> oh well. But. I always loved radio, and I, and I always loved sports, and I always lis- loved listening to the Detroit Tigers on, on the radio. My grandfather listened to every game every night. So this was just part of stuff I loved. I b- became a big record collector and in the 60s and 70s. I could tell you every band, whatever record they did, where it was recorded, who was, on, who was in the band. I, I could tell you everything. All the liner notes, I read them voraciously. Um, I thought, you know what, I'd be a good disc jockey, wouldn't I? forgot about the talent part, you know. <laughs> so, but I love the business. I've always loved radio. It's always been a part of my life. So, and, and I found something I liked uh, and I had the motivation uh, to try and get good at. And that's um, what I tell people to do. I, you know, do something you love because it's hard to motivate yourself. I've never had a day where I haven't wanted to get up and go to work. That's so unusual, and isn't I'm, it? But isn't that Many starting with are, something you yeah. love things? It, it is. Well, that's absolutely true. I, I, I just kind of fell into what I did. You know, so my story is I had a math major, so what do you do with that? I, I figured I'd just go get a Ph.D. and teach, right? So the motivation for me was moving to Colorado Springs so I could hike and ski. You know, I was we were 20, right? But then I fell into, you know, there weren't many computer science majors at the time and back in 1977. You know, UL was doing that, but so they would accept a mathematician instead of a computer scientist. And a joke. This is part of the show that we call Another Great Idea. Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got that great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, that guy you should have coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on now. You can take advice like this and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that might have turned out really great. Or you can take that friend's advice and it turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to you. Do you each have an example in your life or career of a friend who had that great idea for you? Did you take the advice? How did it turn out? So um, 
this is not personal advice. This is more, you know, career advice. But when we moved back to, to Lafayette after having been in Colorado and New Orleans, I had there are two, um, two males, two men who really helped me a lot. And um, in Acadiana, because I came back barely 30, trying to start a tech business, you know, and all that. So people would say, who's your daddy chef? Before they would <laughs> ask me what I did, you know, and I go to, to, to shake my hand and say, hey, this is what I can do for yes, you. That's I what I would now. get. So, um, so there are two names. One is Don Bakke. So Donnie and I met um, in, when we moved back to Lafayette in the middle 80s, and he was trying to convince the Chamber of Commerce at that time to start Leadership Lafayette Program. So it was going to be the first one. So he said, you know, you really ought to apply for that. You know, I think, I think you should do that, which I did. And then it, it, he just continued to help me, like, find my way in the community, getting involved, being on the board of the Chamber of Commerce, all of that kind of stuff. And then the, on the other side, Dr. James Oliver, I don't know if you know him, but um, they're Oliver Hard. Oliver Hall is named after Dr. Oliver. He, um, he has since gone, but he was a chemist, Ph.D. chemistry, who with Dr. Ray Odimon, who was president of the university at the time, Ph.D. mathematician, together decided back in the 60s and 70s that computer science was where everything was. So they have a lot to do with, yes, with, thank you guys. with where computer science is now. But at any rate, so he, he took an interest in me, and he knew that it was going to be hard for me, you know, to, uh, to actually get a tech company off the ground in Lafayette, Louisiana at that time. And so he said, this is what you need to do. You need to go into the business and industry training service that USL provides to businesses at night, and you need to train people. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And so it was perfect. So what would happen is that I would train people in Word, Excel, Access. I would have 24 people two or three nights a week. I did it for 10 years, and I met thousands of people. So what it did for me is it it legitimized me as a technical person. So they, they would go to me as a teacher, which was very acceptable to people and not threatening at all. But then when they understood that I knew what I was talking about, they said, you know, I got this thing at my business that maybe you could help me with. And that was really my entree into the business community. It's funny how successful people always had these stories about putting in the work, whichever yeah. guys that is, but it's always about putting oh, yeah. in the work. Yeah, it was hard to do. I mean, I, I had long days. I would go from 6.30 to 9, two or three nights a week, did it for 10 years. But it was so worthwhile. So that was about the best piece of advice anyone had ever given me. It's exactly what I needed. Perfect. Well, you know, um, my story is probably uh, the same. No, not the same, but similar. It, it, is, a, it is about my profession. Um, before moving to Lafayette, 28 years ago, wow, um, I, um, I had someone approach me about moving to Lafayette, and I told him, no, 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 I don't think I'm going to do that. Just out of the blue, someone said, move well, to Lafayette. No, I, I, worked, I worked for a company for a long time, started in Tyler, Texas, and they, they bought two stations in Tyler, a couple guys from Atlanta, bought two stations in Tyler, Texas, and I was already on the staff, and, and then they started buying stations. They bought two in Tupelo, two in Rock Springs, Wyoming, two in Daytona Beach. Because it was a license to print money. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cash flow. So, um, they, you know, they, they would buy these stations, and then I would go off, and I'd spend a couple of years in all these different cities, you know, and I, we would build a new building or build a new staff or change the formats, and I was single. Um, I was expendable, so I could go do this, and so I'm moving all over the country. I lived in nine cities in 13 years, okay? And um, so I was living in Charlotte, and... Um, I had a nephew who was tragically killed, and it kind of just changed my 
my perspective on life. And um, I called this guy who'd called me about Lafayette, and I called him up. I said, is that, that, that gig in Lafayette still available? I said, I'm probably interested now. He said, yes. Yeah. So I gave my terms. He said, okay. Um, but on the way here, I stopped and talked to a guy by the name of Eddie Holiday. And uh, Eddie owned uh, radio stations in Mississippi. His son now owns stations up in Monroe. And I had dinner with Eddie that night. And he was looking at my resume, you know, and I was talking to him about things I've done and where I want to go. And, you know, I'm going to Lafayette. I'm, I told him I'd give him five years, you know. So, and he looked at me and he goes, you know what, Chuck? He goes, you know what you need to do? I says, well, what's that, Eddie? He goes, he goes, you need to light somewhere, son. That's exactly what he said. You need to light somewhere, son. And that stuck with me. And I moved to Lafayette, and uh, I fell in love with this place. And I took Eddie's advice, and here I am 28 years later. So. That's all the better for it. That's good. That's, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. That was very moving. That was, I'm glad you were both here. Radio and TV are an integral part of our lives. The more of it that's generated locally, the better for us, both economically and culturally. Chuck, most of us in Acadiana are your radio and TV audience. And all of us are touched by sales. Many of us in the current self-employment and gig economy are selling ourselves. Having sales tools at our fingertips is invaluable. Anne and Chuck, you've both been in business a long time. You're both invaluable members of the Acadiana business community. And it's been great to spend time with you. Thank you both for joining me today on Out lunch. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for introducing me, Dan. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to meet you, too. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Chuck Wood, General Manager of Delta Media Corporation, and Ann Pyle, Managing Partner at ADP Solutions. You can find out more about Chuck's radio and TV stations and Ann's sales by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morrell. Our researchers are Anne Christian and Ali Coates. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, itsacadiana.com, and on our It's Acadiana Facebook page. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at itsacadiana.com. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites, itsacadiana.com and krvs.org. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Marcello's Wine Market Cafe on Kelly's Saloon in Lafayette. Marcello's is open for lunch Monday through Friday and dinner Monday through Saturday, serving fine Italian cuisine with a full range of fine wines. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music, Encore Monsieur Nice Guy, is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Out to Lunch Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escadet. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Sure & Associates, 
legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Collie Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free Wi-Fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants.